Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boink Radio Podcast here on the Boink Network Discord server. Today is, I almost said January because I feel like tomorrow's New Year. For those in the crypto space, you know why. But it's October 30th uh, and we're talking about the gatekeepers of science. What does that mean? Stay tuned to find out. But we got more important stuff to talk about first. Like, hey, you can join us. Every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern here on the Boink Network Discord server where you can join a good group of people in the chat, both text or voice, and just join the discussion. Uh, but you know what? Me and uh, Jay Ringo, this this other guy here who's a bandaged fox, Delta, we're going to be here every week anyway. So <laughs> I feel yeah, like I'm it's... struggling here. <laughs> I, I do have to ask one thing. If we're the gatekeepers, do we get free, uh, free pitchforks? Are we the gate? We are the gatekeepers to this podcast. Yeah, so we should get some branded pitchforks. No, we get giant spoons. Fair enough. <laughs> like the one in the chat. Wait. Yeah, I can Jack make my says, tea with it. With your giant spoon? <laughs> it's not going to fit in your cup. Uh, does anyone here know Don Hertzfeld? Know of Don Hertzfeld? My spoon is too big. You know? No. Rejected cartoons. Funny animator. Give him a Google or a YouTube. Or, you know, find a, a not alphabet owned platform if you want. Uh, funny Vimeo, funny bro, animation. Vimeo. Vimeo. Give it a Vimeo. <laughs> go, go ahead and bing that and, and see what you can find. Duck, duck, go it. Mm. Now you're talking for reals. You know, before we get to your tea, I will say duck, duck, do, go is the antithesis of Google, which is a gatekeeper of the search engine world. Oh, man, how relevant. You didn't even know it. But oh, hey. Mind blown. <laughs> Delta, if you had a giant spoon with you today and you were using it to stir your tea, what tea would you be using it to stir? I would have probably just chucked in like every single uh, canister of tea that I have here, which is probably about... Canisters? Good... Well, I, I I don't know what else to call them. Um, oh, sorry, jars. You're, it's just larger than bags? <laughs> I've, I've, Full I've jars been slowly in. losing my vocabulary <laughs> by learning from home. Um, yeah, I have five jars <laughs> of tea, and I think it's probably a good like half a kilo of tea here so i'd probably just get like a huge barch a huge bathtub and just chuck all my tea into it and then put some hot water in it and there you go do you then get in or are you drinking out of a bathtub yeah foxy's me and foxy are the same way flight <laughs> well yeah i don't think swimming in it would be appropriate because you just get cooked like a lobster um probably get a straw and just sip it out very fancy, very classy. But and I was that's really not my tea at, today. <laughs> that's what I was really trying to get at. What do you got? All right. Um, yeah, I got uh, another mixer, and I'm actually liking these mixers. I think they're better than actually putting just individual teas. Uh, we've already done the Orange Pico, uh, all the combinations with the Orange Pico. So now we're going to move on to all the combinations with English breakfast. And today I have English breakfast with oolong tea, and I must say it is one of the smoothest teas I've ever drank. It's it's very smooth. You can tell that it's black, and it's got a very rich and deep taste. Oolong just sounds very smooth. Sounds umami. Maybe it's because it they both start with It takes you on a journey. Oolong. I'm telling you, it takes you on a journey. Where to? A tea tub? <laughs> a tea tub. <laughs> <laughs> tea tub at home. New bike project. <laughs> I can agree with that. <laughs> It's a spin-off of Tea Time. So, cool. I've got... We're missing Sack Pop, who usually has uh, a nice glass of whiskey. I've got a uh, nice amber here for the afternoon. Oh! Uh, repeat that you cut out. 
Uh, it's an amber beer. It's delicious. Jackal says, what? No, this isn't real. Jackal says that a U.S. tablespoon, we were talking about spoons and tablespoons before we started recording. Um, but Jackal says that a U.S. tablespoon is 14.8 milliliters in the United States. In the U.K. and Canada, it's 15 milliliters. In Australia, it's 20 milliliters. Why? What? How do you cook things? <laughs> <laughs> So do I now need to look at every recipe and see if the person who wrote it is from Australia? I don't think it matters with that amount of granularity. Oh, I'm very picky. (laughs) (laughs) Huh. Interesting facts. Just cook like an Italian. Just get a handful of whatever and just chuck it in there. It's a pinch of whatever, please. Thank you. But uh, okay, I like it. I'll do it. Anyway, I guess it's time we get to the boring stuff, huh? Oh, God. Everyone's talking about tablespoons now. News, news, news. Delta, you want to cook us off? Yes, I will cook us off. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. uh, Prime Grid has some new prime numbers, and they're both div mega primes. We have one which is 2,001,550 digits, and the other one is 2,197,597 digits. Uh, they're both in Chris Chadwell's largest known primes database, uh, and one of them was found by Robert Galar, and the other one was found by Tom Greer. Well done to those. Um, and they both took about two or three hours to find. Mike here is from the chat, who uh, is very involved with the primary community, says they have six new mega primes. What? Six new? Wow. <laughs> well, they, are, but it... they are pretty common. There's an infinite amount of primes so <laughs> they're also very spooky and that's why we're finding them all this week because it fits with halloween um mike i have a question for you do you guys sell t-shirts because just the term mega prime is itching to be on a shirt and maybe like a robot and like it's a yellow car transforming into a robot and just says mega prime and then it's like made out of numbers yeah see i got ideas guys let's go uh <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't think we're going to go through all the primes because there's millions of them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just if you want to know some more primes that have been found, you can go straight onto Prime Grid on their forums, check out their news forum. Right on. Or jump on their Discord or check them out on Twitter at Prime Grid. Uh, they do a great job engaging the community. Speaking of engaging community, guess where I've got news from? Got- Australia? Yeah. Uh. Way to ruin the flow. It's World Community Grid, man. (laughs) Coming from, I've got a bunch from WCG because they're great at engaging the community. See the the thread? Anyway, open pandemics. Um, The COVID-19 circuit, I suppose, is coming to a close and the first round of lab testing for potential treatments. Uh, So Scripps Research is Oh, oh, is is uh is giving some information on three proteins they have they are studying uh, because of the work on the um, open pandemics project, and that's about it. So basically, there was a lot. It's a big update. So I will definitely put this one in the description because there's some videos involved. They're giving a lot of information here, uh, but they've got three different proteins: a ligand pose, uh, which is the pose I am going to choose. Ligand. Uh, the ligand pose. I don't know. It's probably not even pose. 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 It's probably French. Uh, <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> it is the pose I will be striking during Protein Fashion Week. Um, 
They have a molecular docking, which is all they say, and they have viral proteins. I'm not sure I'm fully communicating this well, so I'm just going to give you all the link because it is a big update and full disclosure. I did not read the whole thing before this, so <laughs> take a look. But it looks like your work on open pandemics is uh, bearing some fruit or bearing some proteins. <laughs> so they Can't do wait say for protein fashion week. We need it, man. Uh, I haven't even brought it up during the virtual Boink workshops discussions, which I will talk about in a little bit, but I should. Um, they do say that out of 20,000 potential candidates, they've selected 70 molecules for experimental testing, and they're going to order them real soon. <laughs> the way the way that comes across is it's like, I don't know if you had these, Delta, but we used to have like these little book magazines in like elementary school, so like third, fourth grade, and you would order books from them just by like circling. And, and giving them five dollars and it yeah, sounds like that. they just have like a magazine of molecules they're just like oh i'll get that one and that one and <laughs> that one <laughs> gonna put the order in real soon <laughs> but that is really cool that is 70 experimental molecules based on open pandemics work congratulations to all the crunchers and to the world community grid project and back to me for the news <laughs> um sr base has a uh have a couple news updates one is on Formula Boink. They were part of Formula Boink by the looks of it. And um, they have imposed some limits, but uh, after it all uh, all finished, uh, they mentioned to the participants, the output of the project was increased by a factor of 2.5 times. Uh, 500,000 work units were processed and one base was proven from the challenge. So they completed another base of their project. Cool. That's, That's uh, <laughs> well, well, it is a lot of numbers and a lot of what some might say blasé science. I don't think anyone would say that ever, but <laughs> that way. But it is really interesting to hear more stuff from these math projects. And that's two weeks in a row, I think we've had news from SR Base. So a lot of respect and honor going out to that group uh, for, for putting the news out when they find it. Uh, I'm looking forward to learning more about these, maybe SR Base specifically, but these math projects during the virtual boink workshop uh it, hopefully some of them will give us some talks uh some some information that we can all learn about what the heck is going on on my computer with those projects um i don't know that maybe that was a southern accent but we'll go past <laughs> speaking of the virtual boink workshop though i will give it a plug here it is still being planned it is still going forward we got a bunch of really cool people really great people really passionate people about boink putting it together People passionate about Boink, putting it together. Uh, it's it's just moving forward. Uh, it, you can still, it is not too late to get involved though. Uh, we are going to need a lot of help once we get past this initial planning phase, which is fast, quickly approaching. Um, we're gonna need a lot of help getting the word out there, talking to different teams, talking to different Boink communities, talking to different communities outside of Boink, maybe like the Foldit community, the Zooniverse community, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Delta, uh, the, <laughs> uh, the Folding at Home community, the, the other citizen science communities out there. We want to invite them to this workshop where they can learn about distributed computing, the history of citizen science, perhaps, and specifically Boink, Boink projects and the community. Uh, and of course, we are always looking for more graphics designers. We had a little bit of response from last week, and I think we've got some people working on some stuff. Um, 
but more help is always welcome because there is a lot of graphics work to be done. Uh, essentially, we will do as much graphics work as we can. So the more people we have, the more pretty the workshop will be because it is virtual and this stuff does matter when it's on your computer. That said, I'm going to jump back to World Community Grid for some more news coming out of one of their projects, Smash Childhood Cancer, the project seeking to smash childhood cancer. <laughs> They are continuing on the batches of work that they started on September 22nd, uh, which was uh, began after a short hiatus where they were trying to figure out what they wanted to do moving forward. It sounds, seems like they've got their footing now and they're continuing to do it. Uh, they have done uh, 50, nope, sorry. They have done 3,926 batches uh, since they just restarted the project, um, which is great work. Uh, they have... An, uh, 50 in progress and 93 ready for download. That's 180 days backlog of work. So if you're looking for some boink work, World Community Grids Smash Childhood Cancer is a project that could use some help. Uh, they are working on one, two, three, four, five different proteins. It would look like uh, beta catenine, LIN28B, osteopontin. <laughs> Uh, this, is, this is entertaining. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Fox 01. That's an easy one. We've talked about that one before. And PRDM 14. Uh, so those are the proteins they're they're looking at. If you want to learn more, go ahead and put them into DuckDuckGo and see what you find out. Uh, that's all I got for Smash Childhood Cancer, though. I think we should have one episode where we just get random chemical names or protein names and we just give them to you to say <laughs> <laughs> i'm not against this this also sounds like a great like just youtube tv show where you have a sheet of chemical names and you go around just in public asking people to say it that'd be great uh call me foxy says, <laughs> says they should add arm support uh that would be awesome i do know that world community grid one of their projects is looking to add gpu support in the near future i forget which one it is i think it's open pandemics so uh they are a group of people who are constantly trying to add more support for their projects um yes mike does confirm it is open pandemics that is i think they have gp their gpu application in security review with ibm because wcg is the um uh, what do they call it social responsibility arm of IBM. Um, yeah, so maybe they will add arm support in the future. Point of that ramble. More news! Back to Delta for the news headlines. And we got some news from World Community Grid again about Mapping Cancer Markers. The Mapping Cancer Markers project uh, are now have a data set for seven different subtypes of sarcoma. So if you recall, Mapping Cancer Markers is the project that maps cancer with specific markers to practically just identify different types of cancers and hopefully find some solutions or some remedies for them. They now have a new type of work unit, and the work unit now has some extra information to help differentiate between subtypes. And they stress to their users that the results from all past work units are still valid. So don't think that you've just crunched for nothing all the data is still valid. They are also um, doing beta tests on the new work units described above so that you should see them soon. And yeah, the research team is just checking that the results are actually valid with those new work units. So keep crunching mapping cancer markers while community grid. Awesome. This is a cool example before we move into the main topic that um, of just how this all works, right? They're, they were mapping cancer markers 
pro- previously. And then they found that the team found new stuff they wanted to do. So they built and they just coded it. They built a new application and now they're mapping more cancer markers, like for different stuff. It, it's just a progressive, it's a progression of just computer code, essentially. Uh, and of course, a lot more behind it, data, data analysis, statistics, all that. But it's, I don't know, I find it fascinating. Yeah, and it's uh, mainly looking at the subtypes of a cancer. So usually, I think they were originally doing it so that they'd detect only one cancer. And now that they have a special identifier in their, in their work units, so they don't have any technical information here, so that's all I can give you. Um, it actually tells the difference between the subtypes. So it's actually much more identifiable. Yeah, dude. Ah, that's crazy. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's all the news we got this week. Anyone in the chat have any news? They can throw it right in there and we'll bring it in as we move forward. But Delta, I wanted to talk about gatekeepers this week, and I want to tell you a story to kick it off. Very short story, because I don't know it very well. But are you ready? Give us a beautiful short story, and we'll we'll get Craig to record it and put it on uh, Audible. Okay. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. I wish. But (laughs) today's episode brought to you by two guys with a little too much time on their hand. (laughs) <laughs> so, so we all like to think uh maybe that scientists are the pinnacle of humanity right they're these great people who are out doing amazing research to make uh life better for everyone and it, a lot of it comes down to uh perhaps how we view doctors you know we have this hippocratic oath that goes back to ancient times when the the profession first became kind of a profession it was just it was essentially citizen science back when doctors first became a thing and they you would one doctor would teach another doctor who would teach another doctor and they would do no harm uh and it, also in modern times we have things like consent things like ethics medical ethics uh, re- science ethics, all these 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 structures that were built over time and and have not always existed. So, what about the time before then? And the story is about this woman named Henrietta Lacks, Henrietta Lacks, who was uh, in her late twenties, early thirties, in uh, the middle of the twentieth century, so about 1950, and she had cancer. It was a very aggressive cancer. And at the time, there were very few of these things uh, having to do with like consent uh, structures of ethics. You know, it was right after World War II when a bunch of really creepy, weird science was done. Uh, and also at the time, people had not been able to grow human cells outside of the body. So it was pretty, you know, it seems primitive nowadays. But this woman's cancer, uh, she went in for treatment. And uh, her cells were taken from her without consent. And it just so happens that her cells were what were called uh, immortal cells in that they replicated outside of the human body and just they wouldn't die. <laughs> like you could probably kill them if you tried, but they didn't just die once you took them out of the body. And they just they spawned a lot of research that we probably is the reason a lot of us are alive today. I would love for someone to do statistical research in that because her cells spawned vaccines left and right. And just a lot of genetics research. There's even a branch of, oh, I, I think it's NIH uh, where, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Her cells are still doing, providing science today. Uh, 
and so they're just a great benefit. But they were taken without her permission by who was a gatekeeper at the time, a doctor. Uh, and there's a lot more to her story. Mike actually points out there's an excellent HBO movie about her. I did not know that. That's wonderful. Uh, we all owe a debt to this woman who never knew, because she died, uh, but she never knew how valuable her cells are and how much, how many lives she saved. But in today's day and age, what happened is her family eventually, you know, her her, uh, her family tree eventually figures out what's going on and like how important she is in her cells. And NIH actually creates a, um, let's call it a task force with her family. It's a board. It's a group of people who are comprised of scientists and her members of her family who accept applications or, or proposals to do research with her cells. And they have to be, uh, the proposals have to be approved by that board, which again is both scientists and just citizens. Uh, and it could be said that when you think about her story, and here's the link Mike just posted, it's called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks on HBO, if anyone wants to watch it. But when you think about her story, and I'm probably going to watch this movie now to learn more about her, <laughs> but when you think about her story, you have to think like she saved all our lives, but a doctor did something wrong to do that. Like they just took her cells, they took her part of her body and then made millions of dollars off it eventually. Right. That's not what the scientist was thinking, but the scientist was flawed by our standards. So the way they the way NIH decided to fix that optics, at least, and it, it's actually a practical way to fix that problem of scientists are flawed and sometimes get a little too passionate about their work, get a little too into it that they forget to look at the forest and they only see that tree they're heading for. Uh is to bring citizens in to open the doors to everyone, to let everyone participate. So you don't just have this person who has dedicated their entire life to a cause, to studying a single thing, to, to, to really doing their work, which is admirable, which is amazing. It's great to have people to do that. But when you do that, you can lose sight of everything else. So you don't just have that person making decisions. You have that person making the decision in partnership with just a person. <laughs> someone who is just just a person right i think that is very 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 important and in today's world we have uh this nih um i think it's called the gila project for her name henrietta Lacks. uh and, and we have this board and we have other like nonprofits maybe and other entities that sort of take this concept and go with it but for the most part we live in a system of gates where in order to do research, you have to play by specific rules and walk down specific paths to gain access to the tools you need to do research. And in response to that society that we have built, whether intentional or not, uh, and just as an aside here, anyone who knows about science history, science used to be just citizen science. Uh, it was just a bunch of folks doing cool stuff. And yeah, they were generally just wealthy people who had the time to do this, but they didn't go to school. They made the schools. They were just citizens who did science and then ended up making the institutions that continue today. Uh, but in response to this world that we live in now, uh, we have what are called biohackers who are doing things that some people would say are irresponsible or very risky or just crazy, right? Uh, and they're they're doing it with no oversight because they are not allowed access to the gated community. 
if we perhaps if we let the the biohackers i'm making quotes here join the gated community and still do their thing they would understand the risks understand better the risks involved in what they're doing they would be able to do it in more responsible ways with better supplies for better goods and whatnot so that's sort of advocating me advocating for a, a gateless society but it it is also why boink is awesome this this whole story is trying to tie into why boink is awesome boink as far as i know is the only permissionless system that exists when it comes to distributed computing anyone can walk up walk digitally walk up and <laughs> and make a project and do statistical science uh, computational science you don't need to go to a university. You don't need to go through any of these gates. You can just choose to do it. And that's it. We have a bunch of projects. Prime Grid, I think, actually, is one of these projects. Uh, Yo-Yo at Home comes to mind. Uh, Tomas, who joins us every once in a while, has just decided, ah, I'm going to make a point project. And he's doing Latin squares. Um, you can do really cool stuff. MLC at Home actually just decided one day, I don't know if they're backing or whatever, but just decided, ah, I'm going to make a machine learning project. Uh, make a guttering project. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was going to make a guttering practice. So it is an incredible tool for the advancement of science and the advancement of what I would call society at large, because it lets everyone into the system participate, understand, learn, change, and manipulate. And it is very, very important, uh, from my view, that that does not disappear. Um, and there are ways to make it disappear. There are... Uh, these things called project managers that uh, can be developed in such a way where the person contributing computation cycles doesn't know what they're contributing computation cycles to, but the project manager allocates the computer cycles however they want. That's a gate system. When all of a sudden Delta knows better than me on where my computer cycles should go, whether or not he do. actually <laughs> exactly whether or not he does or does not, and he probably does. Um, I should still have that choice. I should still be incentivized or forced or otherwise encouraged to learn about what I'm sending my computation cycles to, uh, to and then choose where to send them. I should not be encouraged to just give them to Delta, who will then choose where to put them, because Delta could make the wrong decision many times. Uh, Delta could make the right decision. I was just going to put them all on my guttering project. So. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so even if he makes the right decision 99 out of 100 times, that one time he screws up could be really bad. And then it's all on him and no one's learned anything. The whole system collapses. Uh, so that is a uh, ramble that came out of the story of Henrietta Lacks. <laughs> and I will put the link to the HBO documentary in the description here. Uh, and Basically, the theme here is Boink is permissionless. It's the only permissionless distributed computing system out there. And it's very important that it stays that way. Um, and a second point that I'll just say briefly before I, I really want some feedback on this, if anyone has any, uh, is that project managers can also serve as a business model behind distributed computing because they do serve a role. Like, I'm not going to ask my grandma to learn about all the Boink projects. I just want her computers to be hooked up to the network, right? So I would make a project manager and it should compete in a free market with a bunch of other project managers that uh, then can build a business model behind it. Uh, and, and then guess what? You've solved the problem of volunteer distributed computing. You have a business model. Uh, there are other business models that would work with volunteer distributed computing, but that is a big one. So yeah, 
that's boink for you. That's Henrietta Lex. Happy <laughs> to right. continue, but also happy not to continue. <laughs> well, I do have some points that I'd like to bring up. Uh, mm. First of all, for those that don't know what a Boink Manager is, basically it's sort of like if you were running Boink on your normal computer, except it's not that manager that's on your actual computer that's controlling. It's maybe a website or a, a panel on a, on a website or something like that that remotely controls those managers and runs the stuff for you. So uh, what Jringo was saying with regards to the one that chooses the projects for you, it's uh, probably a manager that doesn't give you that much control, but just says, okay, you want to compute science? Okay, just install Boink and then click this and then a presto will just do it for you. And so you're placing that trust in that service to compute the right things. And there are other managers which allow you to choose what you want. And usually with people with a lot of computers uh, like to use managers because it makes it very easy to manage a whole load of computers with just one web panel. And yeah, the, the best way to put it is literally just put in the chat. Uh, the Boink manager manages the Boink client and the client interacts with the Boink server, which is the project server. Um, and then with regards to the actual content um, of your discussion, Jeringo, I think we really sort of have to separate it into real life versus virtual because with virtual stuff like Boink, we can do a whole lot more things that could otherwise seem pretty much impossible. But with real life, we're dealing with real people with real consequences, really. And with regards to gatekeeping in real life, I think it's a double-edged sword because you have sort of two areas of gatekeeping. You have the gatekeeping with regards to laws and legislation, and you have gatekeeping with regards to information. So if we let it be free market, so get rid of the gatekeeping of laws, we'll encourage people and firms and businesses to hoard information and gatekeep that information because free market. But if you have laws that then come in and say, okay, no, you have to disseminate and share the information and the laws regulate all of the medical procedures and stuff like that, then you have additional gatekeeping. And it may even make healthcare or even science way too expensive and it'll kick out all those people in scientific organizations and scientific groups or startup groups or even just small citizens from actually getting in because they're blocked from the laws which maintain the ethics and increase the costs for doing science. But with Boink, it's a lot more freer because we are virtual. We can Anything that we can do with our computers, anything that we can compute with our computers is possibly and could be done on Boink. And um, really, it is a double-edged sword. Um, and with Boink, if you're using a manager to manage what you're crunching, it really is up to you to trust that manager. And uh, some people just want a simpler life, and they don't care whether they're being gatekeeped from the science. But uh, a lot of enthusiasts like us like to choose and like to switch projects a lot. Yeah, I definitely appreciate what you're saying about um, the double-edged sword. There, it, it's it's about finding that balance, right? Not in the in the in the human world you were describing, because if you have too many gates, you cut people off, and you have too few gates, you end up cutting people off because the gatekeeper just shifts to money, right? To um, uh, the the company's owning the information or whatever you want it, however you phrased it. Uh, yeah, so that I I'm on, aligned with with the the virtual. Virtual world, it's like, I, I yes, some people do want to just be able to sign up to it, uh, but that's what I'm trying to get at with the business model um, aspect. Like, they should choose a project manager. They shouldn't be told to use one. They should join Boink and say, oh, there's a lot here. 
I can see everything that's here and that's too much for me. So I'm going to now choose a project manager versus the other experience, which would be, oh, here's Boink, it's this project manager. So when you have that, uh, that latter example, you're, my first introduction to Boink being a project manager that will choose all the projects for me, uh, Boink's permissionlessness <laughs> disappears uh, because people are directed directly into a world that is gate- gated. They don't even recognize that perhaps the, the actual world, the most important part, the foundational layer is this very, very open and wide and expansive realm where there might be Boink projects that the gatekeeper of that gate doesn't want the new Boink user to crunch. And if that's the case, that's, that's ruined Boink right there. That's very dangerous uh, because that gatekeeper gets to choose where all new computation power goes. They've taken power away from the permissionless system and given it to themselves. Yeah, and uh, on the information aspect with regards to the results of Boink projects, uh, until someone manages to find a way to use funky cryptography to be able to obfuscate the result data and operate on it at the same time so that the user's computer can't be able to scrape that data straight from the memory and then find out the results, the results are going to be open because either way, someone's going to find those results in their Boink files or uh, in some other way because they have to be out in the open for you to for you to crunch on your computer. Yeah, and I think what you just described is, uh, well, man, I always get this wrong, homomorphic encryption. Uh, that's the thing that IBM just uh, succeeded in developing where they can send encrypted, uh, essentially work units to a computer that then w- does the work within the, the work unit without actually seeing the data in there, which is really cool. Uh, yes, MLC at home confirms homomorphic, thank you. So that's we're doomed to gatekeeper of information. But that's also valuable because I see what you're saying. Because it is a gatekeeper of information. It it puts the onus on the company, on the corporation, to decide to open what information they make open access and open data, and what they don't. And that's dangerous. But it's still it's that's a different. The separation you made earlier is becoming more and more clear. Like that's very different than someone. Uh, directing computation power to projects that they like and only projects they like while making sure that the user does not see any other projects that they might not like. It's just a different type of gatekeeping. And yeah, I I really like the separation you made. You're going to have to think more about that. You're welcome. Yeah. I I think homomorphic, my initial reaction when I first read that article on homomorphic encryption, which I think I was shared by Milk here in the server. So thank you, Milk. was that this is great. Now corporations, companies who understandably have trade secrets uh, can use distributed computing. And then it goes to the concept of, well, if one project, let's call it the Minecraft at home effect. If one project brings people into distributed computing, a good portion or a portion of those people will go to other projects. So it's sort of that funnel effect. So at the end of the day, more people using distributed computing, more companies using distributed computing to get their work done means more users, more crunchers contributing computation cycles to distributed computing, which means more people working on something like climatechange.net. Or, or, wow. I can't think of their actual name. Climateprediction.net. Climateprediction.net. Thank you. <laughs> Contributing to them or to, to open pandemics or something like that, where it's a little more open. Um, so that was my initial reaction, but you are right. 
in that it is now very much up to the company or whoever is giving the work unit out on whether or not they make that open uh, information. They and are yeah, now then, then it really boils down to trust then do you uh, uh, and also whether you actually give a damn about it so if you care about data being open and the results being open and wanting to see those results then you'll crunch the projects that have open results um, and other than that even if a project is using some form of homomorphic encryption uh, and then you just really have to trust that the results of that actually come out. Because what if they're dealing with private medical data? What if they're dealing with personal information? Like, obviously, you're probably going to want to have to encrypt that. Uh, and then you just have to trust that the project and their results then be made public. Two great points. The uh, user uh, using distributed computer for computing to find patient-specific treatments would be amazing. Cancer is a great example. Every every person reacts differently to different treatments, uh, largely, and, and being able to put someone's personal information into a distributed computing network and have it safe is a great practical use of homomorphic encryption. And then having, and, and then your point on trust, I think bridges the separation that you made earlier, where it's like, it, it a gatekeeper comes down to trust. Do you trust the person who runs the project manager? Do you trust the company that is doing the work? Do you trust that the they're giving you all the data? If they claim to be open data, open access, do you trust that they are open data, open access? Call me Foxy. Do you trust says, my guttering project? <laughs> I, I don't trust your guttering project. Guttering is too damn easy. You don't need distributed community. Yes, you do. <laughs> and I'll show you why. Call me Foxy says, trust no one. And I will add, verify. Trust, don't trust, verify. Um, but there, there are solutions to this. There's uh, cryptography is an amazing, amazing technology. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that, the, the information gatekeeping goes. But the, uh, the, 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 compute, the controlling computation cycles gatekeeping, I don't think can be solved by technology because it's already been solved by Boink, which is the technology. So I'm eating my own words immediately. But Boink solves it. It's a permissionless system where people come in and choose a project to crunch. Uh, and it is up to the Boink project to communicate their science well. And science communication is incredibly important. So if you take that incentive away, if, if, you're no, if you tell a Boink project, you don't need to teach people about your science, go do whatever you want, and I'll be the one that learns about your science. Uh, you took away one of the main things that makes Boink awesome. Uh, I I would struggle to convince myself to contribute to Boink if that aspect of Boink did not exist. So uh, Crunchy Haggis here is coming into the chat saying, uh, do, do too many, wait, did you mean to phrase that as a question? I think he says too many papers uh, only show results and not data used to get those results that can be checked. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. And Vitaly leaves a Stalin quote, <laughs> I trust no one, <laughs> not even myself. Well, he should have listened to himself. <laughs> Absolutely brutal, Vitaly. <laughs> so it it's an interesting problem, and what I'm sure Boink is going to come across um, one day, the Boink manager problem. And at the end of the day, we already have the solution, which is new users should be fed all of Boink. They and should they should be fed, be fed with a giant spoon. <laughs> and a giant spoon. Put all of Boink on a giant spoon, feed them, and then they have to make the choice that says, no, that's too much. I'm going to go find a project manager. You don't want to just feed them a tiny spoon of project manager right off the start. 
because then they'll never figure out that there's a giant spoon in the other drawer. (laughs) 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 On that beautiful metaphor, (laughs) Del, did you have any final thoughts before we sign off? I I just think that if they're being fed too much, they should use an American tablespoon, not an Australian (laughs) one. Oh, man. In the words of uh, my favorite Australian, that's brilliant. All right. It's you, Delta. You're my favorite Australian. Why, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, this this has been fun. Uh, Thanks for the chat and everything. We'll see you all next week. Uh, (laughs) Well, we're going to continue this discussion after the recording. (laughs) Next week, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Boink Network Discord server. Everyone remember to check your clocks twice because as Crunchy Haggis did point out, it's Daylight Savings Weekend. Happy Halloween. Happy birthday, Bitcoin. Woo! Oh, no. I'll have to wake up earlier for the Boink Radio. 